Welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, the founder of Alzheimer Speaks. I am also the daughter of a mother who lived with dementia for 30 years, and that's why I started Alzheimer Speaks. Bottom line, our company is an advocacy-based program providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. And we do that by helping connect people to service products and tools by raising everyone's voice. We're also known as a media outlet to help businesses expand their footprint um, in, in this audience and in this uh, industry uh, so that it's just easier to connect and find the resources we need. I also like to live my life with gratitude. And in doing that, I think one of the most important things is to thank our audience. You see, your likes, your clicks, your shares have raised our profile so much. I, I just, I, I can't, I still can't believe it. We've been recognized by uh, Oprah as a health hero in 2018, by Maria Shriver in uh, 2017 as an architect of change, and then Dr. Oz um, back in 2012, uh, Dr. Oz and ShareCare as the number one influencer online. And we surely didn't do that alone. It's by people sharing the content that we have developed and helping others with this process. You see, the more we like and share what everyone else is doing, the easier it makes it for people when they're ready to reach out and grab it. And so, again, I thank you from the bottom of my heart because we wouldn't be where we're at without each of you. And I truly do believe that it's a community here that um, – we have pulled together, and um, I, I just love and respect that so much. I also want to let um, those of you that are new and those of you who have been listening a long time, because we've been doing this for seven years, remind you that each of you could probably be a guest on the show, because we raise everyone's voice. So if you're living with a diagnosis, if you are caring for a loved one, or maybe that's your profession. Maybe you're a researcher, a singer, a songwriter, an author, an advocate. Everyone's, everyone's voice is important because we live in community and we have to, we have to learn to honor one another and, um, and understand how we impact each other. So before introducing our guest today, who I'm really excited about because they've got a really cool product. Um, that I think will be in high demand. I also like to give a shout out to a few different organizations. And um, the first one I'm going to talk about is Silver Dawn Training Institute. A lot of people, you might know them as Dementia Raw. They um, have a real unique set of, of ways to communicate with individuals that are living with dementia. And they call it introspective improv and their approach is what they call unscripted unconventional and unapologetic and they deal with real life in scenarios and they consider you and your patients or your loved ones vantage points with everything that they do and their training is based on the company's founders experience in long-term care and I'm really excited because they're coming to White Bear Lake, Minnesota, which is really close to me, August 6th and 7th. 
for a certified dementia communication specialist training. And I myself am going to be there. And I would love for you to join us. And you can learn more by going to their website at www.cdcsdementiaraw.com. That's cdcsdementiaraw.com. And they are doing lots of other programs um, throughout the U.S. So please feel free to, um, to check those out as well. I'm also going to give a shout out to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They approach things from a holistic standpoint. So if you're looking at meditation and diet and exercise, these are your guys. They have done some really cool things. Um, also, the Memory Cafe directory, people are always asking, how do I find a Memory Cafe? Go to memorycafedirectory.com. That is sponsored by Calendar Cards, which is... Um, not with a C, but both words are with a K, calendar cards with a K. And um, you'll be able to find any of the registered memory cafes in the U.S. Or maybe you have one you want to get registered. Dave would be more than glad to go ahead and, um, and get you put in, a, um, in, the, in their directory at no cost. So with that, I am going to go ahead and introduce our guests today, and I'm very excited to have them, them both with us. I am going to try to not crucify poor Susan's last name, but we'll see how I do. We have with us Susan Ostersky, and she is a speech pathologist providing cognitive communication therapy to older adults in a variety of settings. So welcome. Welcome, Susan. I'm so glad Thank you're here. You. Thank you. And with us also is Peter S. Dixon, and he is an internist providing primary care for seniors, and he understands the importance of patient-centered care, and Peter is actually one of a very few physicians who still makes house calls. So welcome, Peter. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I am, I am really excited that the two of you joined um, your your passionate skills about improving quality of life for senior care. And um, these two have um, founded an organization called Reading to Connect. And so we're going to be talking about that today and what makes their books dementia friendly. But before, before we go down our line of questioning, I always like to ask our audience uh, or our, our guests for our audience if you've been personally touched by dementia. So Peter, I'll ask you first, have you had any family or friends who have been diagnosed with some form of dementia? Gloria, well, yeah, I have countless friends with dementia. Many, many patients are friends and over 25 or more years, um, um, I have seen dementia progress almost every way you can imagine. My father also has an element of early dementia and is struggling with with that. So yes, I do. Okay, great. How about you, Susan? Yeah, I would say some relatives and like Peter, just just friends and neighbors and people in various settings for sure. Mm -hmm. Parts of my life, yeah. Yeah, it's hard not to be touched by this disease. Yeah, um, I want to start out, and I'll, I'll go ahead and pose this to you, Susan. What makes your books dementia friendly? I know you've done a lot of research in putting them together, um, but why don't you tell us why 
why your books are, are dementia friendly? Sure. So um, it involves a lot of things, but I'll keep it short. So the most obvious thing is that they're easy to manage. So they're spiral bound. They lay flat by themselves. You can fold them over if you want. The pages are, are stiff. Um, you know, most typical books for adults can be 100, 200, 300 pages. They're just a few pages. They're about 20 pages. Mm -hmm. um, the appearance is obvious. You know, as soon as you look at the paper's very, very white. The print is bold. So there's high visual contrast, which elderly people love right away because it kind of pops out. There are a lot of images, which helps give them a rest from reading. And of course, it enhances their comprehension and makes them more sociable, makes them more um, conducive to conversation. Um, the, the typeface is what's called non-serif, so it's quick for all kinds of kind of visual difficulties. The sentences are isolated and short, so they can rest kind of in between sentences and process things. I would also add, Laurie, if I might, that um, the books are not written down to a lower level. They are written very, very intentionally to a mature level that reflects an adult, a senior adult experience. Um, we also incorporate in every page a sort of a reminder of what the subject is in terms of the photo or the image that reflects the text. And so people don't get lost. It's a very comforting, you're enclosed. I would also say the books are set up in such a way that you don't have to go page by page. If a, if a patient has a hard time or a person has a hard time um, turning pages or kind of gets lost, it's, it's not a story. It's a whole bunch of different segments and, and they can go back and forth and, and be perfectly um, happy and entertained. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm just wondering, I've got, um, I've got a couple of them here um, that you had sent me. And I, you know, they are, they're very easy to hold. They're not, like she said, real thick. Um, you've got the shiny cover, you know, that's a protector on the front. But again, let's see, I'll just open it up to another, another page. You've got really large type and then really nice big pictures. Um, and Laurie, that, that's how one reflects the other to keep somebody on track. If their mind's wandering, they, their eye can go back and forth and stay with the subject. Mm -hmm. which, is, which is absolutely fantastic. One of the things that I, I was thinking about with your books is that I need to connect you with our library system um, here in Roseville, Minnesota. They actually have made up what they call memory minder kits, and they've put together 60 of them specifically for dementia, and they've broken it out to kind of three different levels, um, but there's always a, an engagement piece, and then there's a learning piece in there, and sometimes they'll have um, maybe a music CD and then some tips and stuff for communication as well. But um, they, like I said, they've got 60 of them right now, and they're always out. They have a wait list for them. So they are in the process of putting another packet um, together like this specific for Louis Body. And there's a lot of other libraries starting to look at what they're doing. So 
um, remind me to um, connect you with uh, with the, the, the uh, library system here. I'll make myself a note, and um, I think they would be very interested in in what you're doing. Um, I love when you talked about the learning piece. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things we discovered so quickly is that nobody and older adults are no different. Nobody wants to read what they already know, right? They need some degree of what's familiar and some degree of novelty. And so that was really exciting when we realized that, that at, it doesn't matter what age, everybody likes to learn. Mm -hmm. And Thanks. so that, that, that made the content really important, what we put in the books. Wonderful. Um, I, I might as well ask you this question too, and then we can have Peter jump in. But what, what made you guys start, you know, down this whole endeavor? Um, and what was your, what was your aim over time um, for the yeah. book? Um, oh, so, so as a speech therapist, um, you know, I just thought, oh my gosh, we could do so much with these people if we could give them reading material that they could handle, that they could manage. Because a lot of people in long-term care can absolutely still read to some degree. Um, and there was one patient in particular who said to me that one of the things he really, really missed was being able to read political articles and discuss them with his family. So that's when we started Peter and I worked together and started really trialing what if we changed the format in this way and what if we didn't, you know, put less and, and how much was good enough and what, what did he need modified in order to process it and remember it. And when we got it right for him and, and then we educated the families about his family members, how to um, create material like this for him he said to us, I feel saved. Oh, gosh, melt your heart. So that's yeah. kind of one of the things that really propelled us forward. Mm -hmm. Do you think so, Peter? Is that, is that There's no question about that, that that's the case. The other thing, um, so that's an example of an individual who really sparked us because of his, um, how much he missed reading. He was quite an intellectual prior to that. The, the second thing is that in, in our experience, we've seen many people with either dementia or approaching dementia with memory problems who are surrounded by reading material and never lift it up. And they've got a newspaper on a desk here and a book over here and a magazine somewhere else. And, and we started saying, you know, can they read? Is it possible that they can read? Or is this really a person loses reading at some point? And that question, if they can read, why aren't they, was the second part of this whole sort of in a conceptual basis of what drove us into this, because our, our hunch was, and certainly the person Susan's talking about, um, was an avid reader. He just couldn't access the, the, the text. Um, when you look at a magazine, there's so many images, and it's cut up, and there are tiny columns, and tiny print, and glossy paper, and people can't, once you start getting a little soft in the and processing it, so it's hard to put all that together visually and, and in terms of the speech part, the, the, the input, the visual input. Yeah. The thing I'd add with that um, whole scenario, too, and I'll give you an example of my mom. My mom used to love to read the paper every single morning. 
And in the nursing home, we had the paper delivered to her. That was really important. She wanted that. And I'll never forget the day I came in and she was holding it up upside down. And she couldn't read anymore. But the ability for her to hold that and have that be part of her routine was still critical. You know, and so I just asked my mom, I said, there's something on the paper. Can I just look at it really quick? And then I flipped it around and I turned it the right way. And I, and I told the staff, please, if you see that, you know, make sure it gets turned around so that others aren't making fun of her. Um, because this is a, this is a real pride thing for her. And it's a, it's real important. Um, but it also, it also speaks really to the importance of, of uh, print on paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that to hold something, to be able to turn a page, that's a habit that goes way back to grade school. That's yeah. a habit that people have. And so when you can put them in touch with their past and their background and they're doing something that they're used to do and now they're seeing things and being able to read it because the print's larger and the subject's appropriate, it turns them on. They start to come alive. Yeah. Well, and the other thing with the photos that you have, um, even if the, the words start to go, they can reminisce, you know, and that'll trigger some memory and stuff too. So there's so many different um, angles, I think, in, in ways that your books can really help people live fully and um, feel engaged. We formatted them so that basically people in various stages or types of dementia could benefit from them, would really enjoy them. Mm-hmm. So some of them have, you know, obviously the parts with the text that requires some some ability to read, but for people who are in advanced stages or they can't see enough to read, but maybe they can make out the pictures or they're just drawn to the pictures. And there's, there's very clear, large titles. So it's fascinating to put you know, offer the book to somebody and see where their eyes go because their eyes will go to whatever makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting. And I, maybe I know you have several, did you say you had 40 some books? Yeah, almost 50 books now. Okay. Yeah. It would be really interesting to even um, do something on a reminiscent level in terms of um, taking some old things like even old ads, you know, from, you know, back in the 30s, 40s, or 50s and put those in there for people to reminisce. And because that, that could even trigger um, some of the jingles and things like that, too, if if that was ever a, an interest or... Yeah, no, or, yeah, we've done that where we've taken old ads or... You know, yeah, just images like of baseball cards and historic images. Mm-hmm. You know, and I could just wanted to add about what you were saying about your mother is that so we've created these books, but we also have created uh, training programs. So we go into day centers and um, skilled nursing and memory units and so forth. And we train the staff how to get the most out of this ability to use books. And so one of the things we talk about right from the beginning is how to gently and informally assess what they're seeing and what's meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. You know, what kind of light, do they need more lighting? Do they need a better positioning of their body? 
Do they need less distractions around them? Do they need the book supported in a certain way? We, we kind of go through the whole um, array of factors that can affect someone's reading ability. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because that would all would all have impact. I know for me, I need a lot more light than what I used to need. <laughs> and I remember my mom, when I was younger, I'd be doing my homework in the dark with loud music in the background, and she'd be, how can you concentrate with that loud music? And there's no light. And and then as I got older, I started saying the same thing to my daughter. <laughs> yeah, that's just the aging process, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a very important part of our training program. We call it the environmental factors. Um, I'd, I'd like to sort of put a step forward and say, this conversation has really dwelled on how an individual approaches reading and, and how our books can, can, can help them, how, they, how much they enjoy them. But a second aspect of this, which is at least as important, is how two or three people together who are similar in their, or maybe not so similar in their, in their cognitive declines, et cetera, um, how they will begin to read and reading erases barriers. They start to read to each other and, and reading a sentence or a paragraph, somebody interrupts, somebody remembers something, they interrupt the next one and a spontaneous conversation happens. And that rarely happens with people who have advanced memory problems. And, and this social aspect of reading has is very, very much part of the program. So it's partly an individual skill, but it's also partly a group skill. Oh, neat. Do you um, do you see this done in a in a group setting with? In, and if so, how many people do you recommend are in a group? Yeah, so that's part of our training with mainly activities professionals, but nurses, aides, and volunteers, and families, and nurses, and administrators can attend the training, of course, as well. And so we, we outline it how to facilitate solo reading, we call it, and then maybe paired reading, so two residents and one book, or two residents with copies of the same book and then small groups, and then large groups, up to 10, 15 residents, kind of all together in a group, reading with copies of the same book. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's great. I, I think it's great because it gives a lot of flexibility to activity professionals. They can do this in a lot of different ways. But like Peter was, I think, starting to say, the main thing, the main emphasis of our approach is how to get the staff, how to get the residents as independent as possible and less dependent on staff intervention. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, that's, that is. Yeah. So that's, that's a two part thing, Lori, because what one thinks um, logically is it's all about educating the residents. But we found it's about educating the staff too, because the staff are trained to lead and there's a teacher-student relationship, and that we found to be sort of destructive. It, it's not a, it doesn't foster originality or creativity and spontaneity and, and, and kind of letting go and being natural. And so as we get people comfortable with the books and then push the staff into the background and let people handle the books however they want and talk however they want, and we've seen groups will, which will go on for 20 minutes and 30 minutes, all by themselves, just just enjoying it, laughing it, telling stories, 
remembering things that you would never believe that they could remember. It brings back these memories, it dusts the cobwebs out, and people just they come alive. Well, that's that's really neat. You know, we've we've heard that so much with music and stuff, and this is just another another tool. And there are so many people that were avid readers, you know, um, like my mom and others. You know, my mom was big with her newspaper, and, and she would read a few books. But there are people who, I mean, that's what you know, they read a book a week or a couple of weeks, some of them, and that's just got to be devastating to not not be able to do that because I could see it in my mom just how how important that habit was you know and it was just one more reminder of something lost and you're you're giving them that tool um, to give that back to them and that's quite beautiful it's hard to do this but imagine you couldn't read if you woke up tomorrow and you couldn't read what would that feel like oh gosh I mean, it, it just takes such a big portion away from you. Yeah. Portion, and we're giving that back to people. Yeah. Well, that is, that's exciting. What, what are some of the unexpected effects that you've seen from your work, Peter? Um, I think the biggest unexpected effect to me um, was how much when two people start reading together, um, Time evaporates, um, the social um, barriers, the, the sort of formalities of how you address each other um, disappear, and they just start interacting with their friends. And, and it's just easy, and, and, and that lets them be spontaneous, and they really enjoy it, and they laugh and, and remember things, and that's great. The second unexpected thing Susan just spoke uh, to, and that's how we have found that overall involvement of staff um, it, it puts a damper on reading. It puts a damper on spontaneity. It puts a damper on genuine person-to-person -person interaction among these people. And so the, the more we can sort of slip the staff into the background as it gets going, um, the more vital the program, the activity becomes. Okay. Uh, Susan, anything that you want to add to that? Well, I guess like Peter said, the social part. So, um, we didn't expect that maybe family members or volunteers or staff would be so excited, would be so thrilled to have this kind of bridge to connect with the older adults. So the person would read and then talk and then read and then talk. And so most visiting family members get so excited because there's more substance to their interaction. Mm -hmm. Life stories start to come out. What was that, Peter? I think adding to what Susan said is, is that reading prompts these life stories. When a mother and an older mother and a young son are together, the son doesn't really know what to say to his mother with memory loss. He's sort of awkward. And if they start reading together, all of a sudden she starts talking about what it was like way back when. And these life stories come out and make for terrific encounters. Oh, yeah. It never happened otherwise. Well, and I could see it going the other way, too, with just grandkids getting involved because now it's at a level they can read and share. And so intergenerational, I would I would see that um, possibility as well. Have you seen that happen at all? Yeah, we actually have a couple of books that are purposely for, um, I mean, they're kind of childlike books, like... Um, 
uh, the night before Christmas. No, what is that called? Uh, that's it. That's it. That's the night before Christmas. Right. Christmas so, Carol. Yes, thank you. So it's like, you know, it's a children's book, but it's really an, a universal book. Mm-hmm. So created that book. And then we have this other one that's kind of like a child's book. It's a Chinese folktale, but it's really, really well done. It's enjoyed by everyone. So the idea is that, you know, uh, um, an elderly person can read it to the grandchild or the, the, the great-grandchild. Yeah. Well, and I think that would be neat to have those books to allow them to engage with their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren, you know, to, to purposely have a few of those for those types of engagements. And, and some communities have, um, you know, um, daycare right on site where they do do engagement and stuff, and that might help some others be able to participate a little bit longer. Oh, I love that, that intergenerational. You know, and just, just one more thing. The other thing that we, we didn't think about until we saw it happening and people started telling us was that this is a nice a book, a couple of books are nice materials for somebody who's starting to feel anxious and disoriented and upset. It's a, it's a wonderful, obviously, non-pharmacologic means of connecting with someone and kind of orienting them and getting them feeling comfortable again. So mm-hmm. nurses really like that. <laughs> Great. I think another point, Lori, um, related to what you were saying a couple of minutes ago, one of the things that um, I guess I would say I've always known as a physician, but this is brought to the fore, is, is publicly and in the popular press, we talk about dementia. We talk about, you know, that there's scientific parts of it, the behavioral parts of it, there certainly just the common memory parts. But, but dementia isn't one thing, and a person doesn't all of a sudden develop dementia. And I think one of the important things about um, your program and your work, and certainly what we're doing, is, is we have to be careful of using that word dementia, because we're talking about the cognitive decline. It's a gradual process. Some people have it more quickly, some people more slowly. It's a gradual process, and, and certainly this reading program applies to people at various stages in terms of starting to lose memory, starting to lose orientation, um, and social skills, etc. <clears throat> and I think it's very important to recognize that you don't have to go all the way to the end mm-hmm. to in dementia activities or to benefit from them. Um, early memory loss can be a great time for this sort of comforting social interaction. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I was, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Stephen Post, but I talked with him the other day and he uses the term deeply forgetful. And he says, we all forget, but it's when that um, exhibits more, you know, in our day-to-day routine. And so he he likes to say we're we're all more similar than alike. So he uses the term deeply forgetful. Yeah, because we're all forgetful. You know, we've probably all forgotten something at least once today that we were going to do or didn't do and and things. Um, and that's, I, I think, can be a little gentler term as well, uh, you know, with that. So, um, Peter, what would you like to uh, accomplish in the future um, with the books? What's what's your vision? My vision is, is reaching um, as many people with with. Uh, memory loss as we can. Um, it's it's to 
pull people together. It's to give them that, that sense of, of socializing. It's to um, help them um, um, feel more energy and not, not just sit in a chair and stare, stare off into space. To, to, to have an exciting life, to have quality of life. And, and that, that means reaching way out into lots of corners and nooks and crannies because these people, as a rule, aren't front and center. They're, they're in, the, in the background, in the mm-hmm. shadow. Great. How about you, Susan? Anything you want to add to that? Uh, I just really, our aim, my aim, both of our aim for the next few years is to really educate people who, um, who, are, who really care about people with cognitive impairment due to aging. In other words, people who really want to do something different for them because we couldn't share how they can produce their own reading material for their Mm -hmm. loved ones or their clients. Um, And I just love to get these books out there to, to people who are spending a lot of time not doing too much that's really personally meaningful for them. Yeah. Well, another group that would be really good for you to connect with is through calendar cards um, with Dave, with the, uh, with the memory cafes. Yeah. Um, cause he's, he's just uh, so awesome. He's just so awesome. And, you know, the memory cafes are always looking for resources and, um, some do activities, uh, you know, the group I do, we just basically chit chat, but we're always looking for new resources for people to be able to tap into. Yeah. I mean, these books, because they're so, I don't know, they're just so accessible and so inviting that it doesn't have to be a structured kind of activity. We've had them in senior centers where they're just on the table and people are flipping through, talking. We have something, it's like a memory cafe. We call it the reading cafe. Mm -hmm. And it's the same idea. Like some people are reading on their own. Some people are reading together. It's very fluid and it just... I mean, when, when we have that going, even in a skilled nursing facility, the room is just kind of loud and vibrant with energy and voices, and none of the voices are staff. They're all residents. You know where else these would be really good at is in the neurologist's doctor's office. Mm. You know, there's always magazines for everybody else, and to have something that's appropriate for them to meet their needs, that would be a really, uh, a, a really perfect place, you know, for that. Or, um, or even geriatricians, you know, that are dealing with an, an older adults, so that they can still participate, because there's nothing worse than not feeling like you can't, and having to pretend, you know, where my mom was pretending to read the paper, because it was so important, and yet she wanted to fit in. Yes. And be parts. And we don't want to add any more stress. You know, it's all about alleviating and letting them live fully. And this is just a a really wonderful, wonderful tool that you guys have developed. Um, Can you tell us what the costs are for the books and, and how they go about purchasing them? Sure. So they vary a little bit, but most of them are $24.95 for book. And you can get them on our website. Um, and then, uh, what was the other question? Oh, just how they could, how they could um, get the book. I think it was really okay. a question so and what they cost. The yeah. Um, most of, I mean, we do, some people absolutely 
you know, hear about us and, and, and get books for gifts or, or their family members or sometimes private companions or employed um, nursing assistants will use them. And that's great. But most of what we do is go into, like we said, like long-term care or adult day centers or um, home care companies. Mm -hmm. And we bring the, the whole package and really train the staff how to re how to use them to the best to, to make them most effective. And it's actually, I'm sure you've heard of the Montessori approach mm -hmm. to dementia care. So it's very much Montessori um, like the approach that, that we use. So it ends up being, yes, a reading program, but it's really about how to um, interact with, with, the people in their care in a way that really optimizes their independence. Okay. Have you um, hooked up with Dr. Cameron Camp at all? He and his wife, I know, just wrote a book on Montessori, but I know that they've got uh, a couple of communities too that, you know, they might be really interested in this. But That's it looks a very good idea. Yeah. As a speech pathologist, they've always, I, I know of them. And yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. I do that. That's an excellent idea. Yeah, and just um, even letting the uh, assisted living, you know, associations know. Do you guys go to conferences at all to to speak about what you're doing? And we do. We just have started mm -hmm. uh, pretty much. We we've spent a long time developing the books and the programs, and mm -hmm. so I I. I think you're right. I think we're, we're, and we've done pilot studies. And so. Okay. Yeah. Do you have research to back your books at all? Peter, you want to talk about that? Oh, I do. Um, maybe we can both talk about it, but there's, there's a considerable amount of research um, done about the value of, of um, activities that stimulate people with memory loss and dementia, et cetera in terms of helping them um, uh, basically with quality of life issues, um, we have um, made an agreement to uh, start a study, which we expect to start in a few months in uh, the state of Washington. And we're expecting to start another study um, sometime roughly the same time in six months or so in Illinois. Um, and are very much looking forward to those results. Um, the research that's been done to date has, um, is very uh it hasn't used reading to connect our techniques and our books these two studies will okay wonderful anything you want to add there susan yeah just like i i think universities get really excited about this because as you know um there's a lot out there these quality of life programs right music and pet therapy and baby dolls and all that kind of stuff but there's not really enough research to back it up so university programs get very excited to say all right let's do some research let's see what these products and this approach or this program can really do they they really from the university departments i've spoken with they take that role in this whole dementia care scene very seriously mm -hmm. so we're thrilled that people are starting to show interest and in, and to do some some serious formal research on this. Yeah, well, I just read today that it looked like Eli Lilly dropped out of another um, clinical trial and, we're, and it was them and somebody else. And you know, 
we've been hearing a lot more about that. So hopefully there'll be monies going into these social research pieces, you know, um, that aren't, aren't directly pharma. And um, I think there's such a huge need for that because sometimes there's a pushback. Well, I'm not going to institute it if there's no research, but it's like you can't get research without it being tested first and put into practice. You know, they go, they go hand in hand, but, uh, and, and there needs to be funding in order to be able to do that. And, and people I think are seeing personally the, the effects of this, these different types of social engagement and how powerful they are. And have you, have you heard from families at all on this and um, what they think of your program? We, we have testimonials beyond testimonials beyond testimonials in terms of what families think. They, they love it. People, um, people have been very happy to have their parents photographed and, and videoed reading. Um, they've written us letters. They've, they've uh, championed the program on Facebook, et cetera. It's, it's really um, enheartening to, to see what people have said, hear what people have said. Oh, that, that just really has to soothe your heart. I mean, to, to know that you're filling a need like that um, is pretty powerful, pretty f powerful stuff. Um, Susan, is there a particular story from a family? You kind of got a big smile on your face as, as did uh, Peter. Um, hmm. I, the most common thing we hear is I had no idea she could read or mm -hmm. I had no idea he could read. Um, and I think, again, back to the Montessori. So the Montessori approach is about adapting a material and modifying an, an environment to make it so conducive that you don't really need a teacher or a mm -hmm. staff. So when we train staff about that and then families come in and see their mom or dad in a group talking and reading by themselves without following any staff direction, that's what they get so excited about. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm going to add to that, Lori. Um, there's no question that the, the, the sons and daughters, family members get very excited about seeing a parent read. They also get very excited about seeing a parent who's elderly being excited, being animated, being happy, being, you know, integrated with their community, which, which takes a tremendous amount of guilt away from them. And, and they're delighted. And their parents real. It's, that's my mom. Mm -hmm. I did that many times. Yeah, I, that was going to be my next question. And did you see a change in the person who is actually doing the reading and stuff. And it sounds like that's pretty, pretty evident. Time after time after time. Yeah. yeah because, I, uh, because when you, obviously when you have short-term memory difficulties, it's really hard to carry on a conversation. It's really hard not to say, not to just rely on those automatic expressions. But when you have accessible, simple text and pictures, then it supports the conversation. So the, the older adult is able to reach some kind of depth and get deeper and deeper as they're talking about whatever the book is about, Chicago or baseball or beach stones or diamonds, all those, whatever it is. But because they stay in the topic and they have these images then they start remembering and remembering and they start saying really personal, original things instead of just saying 
automatic social chit chat things. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, this is fantastic. Now people can go to your website, which is reading and then the number two connect.com reading the number two and then connect.com or they can reach you by email at reading to connect at gmail.com. Again, that's reading and then the number two connect at gmail.com. Um, did you want to give a phone number out too or not? Okay. It's, it's 860-235-4348. Okay, 860-235-4348. Wonderful. And um, they could always um, mail, you know, send you something by mail if they wanted to send a letter or something to reading and then number two connect 192 west brook road exit uh and that's in connecticut 06426 mm -hmm. so um well this has just been a really interesting conversation and i'm i'm very excited for the work that you've done and i can't wait to spread the word i'm gonna I'm gonna bring my books to my memory cafe this week um, and I and I know that they will go into immediate use with our group because they're always looking for different things, and it's always such a pleasure to be able to um, to connect people to different resources. And again, I will connect you with uh, the library system um, here in Minnesota. And um, again, it, it's something a lot of them are looking at. I mean. Initially, I, and I think and I believe most of them probably still don't have a section for caregiving or dementia, but that is starting to change. Um, yeah, 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 which is really exciting because you know so many people are asking asking for that. So yeah. we we have a library program. We have libraries who have you know purchased our books and they have a little bit of training and they really then they just kind of take off with it. So, oh, exciting, yeah. exciting. Yeah, and, and maybe tell them about the Roseville um, Memory Minder packets, what they're doing, um, because that's that's just such a cool thing that people, they don't have to dig, they can just come and grab something, and it's every nice. one of them is different, and um, it's just a nice, nice, simple way for them to kind of grab and go. And, yes. Uh, and stuff, so great. Well, again, I can't thank you enough. Um, any any last comments that you'd like to say, Susan? And then I'll go to Peter. Um, not really. I just, I just, it's so much fun to make these books. That's what I want to say. That it it takes a long time to make them, and we, you know, it, every time we have an idea, we try try them out in different forms with different people and do a lot of field testing and then come up with the, with the final book. And so if anybody has any sort of requests or an idea of a, of a, of a really good book that might work for them, for their family members or anything, you know, give a shout out and, and, and we can probably put one together. Okay, great. Peter, how about you? Any last comments? The last comment is simply to put in a personal plug-in for the spelling of our name. You are very clear. It's reading the numeral two connect. That's that will secure um, any, <laughs> on any website. You'll you'll find us there. Okay. 
Sounds good. And they should have the links to on the radio show and the blog and all of that stuff. Um, so hopefully they don't break every once in a while they will, but, um, most of the time they go right through. So great. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, in closing, I'm going to shout out to a couple other organizations. One is the Roberto app, which measures um, brain function through video games. And it's just a, a again, it's a, it's a nice way to be able to monitor where your, where your brain health is at. You can do it, you know, every day or multiple times a day or once a week. Um, but to me, it helps us keep in mind, you know, when our scores might adjust um, to look deeper, you know, did, did I get enough sleep? And I drink enough water? Do I have stressors in my life? Because there's a lot of things that can cause uh, our, our brain function to decline and kind of sidetrack that isn't necessarily uh, dementia. And we can look at that a little bit closer. And you can just go to therobertoapp.com or you can go onto Alzheimer Speaks and you'll see a little banner ad which will give you a, an extended trial of that too, if you'd like. And then um, remind, uh, I like to remind everyone of Maria Shriver's Move for Minds, which is happening this June in multiple cities around the U.S and also in Europe, um, but you can get more information on all of what Maria is doing through her womensalzheimersmovement.org. And I, I personally highly recommend getting her Sunday paper. It is so inspirational and she is one of the most authentic people I've ever met. Um, just really genuinely wants to improve the world and um, shares, uh, shares with us uh, her deepest thoughts and uh, and movements and uh, products that others are doing to to improve the world as well so with that we'll go ahead and close and again I just uh, thank you both for joining us today thank you thank you very much Laura. it's been a pleasure Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.